I want you to jump in with your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 today in verses number 14 through 16 together. I was reading a story about two little brothers this week, about Harry and James, and you know how brothers are. You know, you know many of you have had brothers, or maybe you've been a brother, and you know how they can be sometimes. And, and Harry and James had finished supper and were playing and, uh, until bedtime when somehow Harry hit James with a stick. Tears, and next thing you know, bitter words were, were uh, followed, and then they were charging each other with accusations, and, and things were still being exchanged, exchanged back and forth. You know how brothers are. They're just bickering and fighting with one another and, and threatening and all kinds of things going on. And the mom said, now, James, before you go to bed, she said, make sure you're going to have to forgive your brother. And James was thoughtful for a few minutes, and he replied, well, okay, I'll forgive him tonight, but if I don't die in the night, he better watch out in the morning. You know, sometimes that's the way we forgive, isn't it? And you know, tonight, uh, today, as we look at Romans chapter 12, I want you to see God's instruction for us, some practical instructions regarding forgiveness and how that happens in our life. And it all bases off of that relationship with God. Uh, back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see where God instructed us from the Word of God to really to sacrifice and lay down our lives and to be that living sacrifice for Him. And it all starts back there, but how in the world can we forgive someone who's been so ugly? How in the world can we forgive a spouse uh, who's done the unpardonable? How in the world can we forgive those who cut us off in traffic? Amen? Uh, but, you know, how in the world can we go through those things with forgiveness? It all begins with a relationship with God. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34 is not on the slide, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ as He prepared to hang on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ's prayer, even at the end, after He'd been uh, beaten and after He'd been uh, taken to the cross, I'm reminded that His prayer was for forgiveness. And today, how vital forgiveness is, because forgiveness is powerful, and it holds the key to your, uh, for your joy and your happiness in your life. And so let's look together. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. It says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to them of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God today. We're thankful for the challenge of forgiveness, but most of all, we're thankful for forgiveness that you've shown us. Oh, Lord, there are, there's such great blessings in forgiveness, Lord, when we come to you. God, and I'm reminded, God, that uh, each of us in this room today are sinners. Lord, there's not one of us that um, has lived a perfect life. But God, by your incredible grace and mercy, you offer forgiveness for those sins. And today I pray that, Lord, uh, those that have, are struggling under the weight of the guilt, those that are struggling today under the weight of oppression, that God today, that they would release it. They might find forgiveness that Christ offers today. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the powerful and precious name of your Son. Amen. As we look here in verse number 14, I want to just share with you this verse, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Consider with me for a second just this one verse. I, there, there's a couple of terms I want you to understand a little bit. First off, the, the word bless, it's used twice in this one verse. And I believe that God is really wanting us to, to understand. Listen, I know this is not going to be easy, but I want you to listen up. Bless them which persecute you. Uh, this literally means uh, to invoke a blessing. Like as you, and you pray for someone's blessing. Pray that God would uh, bless them and be with them. And literally to celebrate with praise. 
To bless someone is, is not, just, uh, not just not to say bad things, but literally to ask God to, to be there with them. Can you imagine the most bitter enemy that you've ever had in your life asking God to bless them? Imagine with you and your wife or you and your spouse are fighting and then you, you look at one another and you say, well, God bless you. I don't think that that's what quite God meant in that, in that term. Uh, you know, but I, I think what God's, God's uh, intention is here for us is to have a, uh, a desire to love our enemies. To have this desire to, to offer forgiveness in the midst of our persecution. The, the word persecute means to pursue in a hostile manner. And, and tr- truly, there are some great, uh, the, the great uh, offenses that we've encountered in our lives. But I want you to think about with me uh, the man David. Uh, I love the man David. He's so real in all of his life and, and many aspects. And, you know, he experienced an issue with forgiveness in his life. Uh, when he was a ruler of Israel, we saw where David had uh, you know, several children by many different wives. And there's a problem on all in that, talking about polygamy, amen. And so uh, as David was uh, there in, in, in his time, he, one of his sons, Amnon, had a, a deep affection for his half-sister Tamar. And, and inspired by a friend, he, uh, he raped Tamar and then thrust her out. Absalom was Tamar's full brother, and Absalom was filled with rage and anger. And, and during this time, as he was filled with so much rage, he conspired to kill Amnon. And, and after the, the act was done in 2 Samuel, we see where uh, Absalom fled from the presence of the king, and for three years he, heard out, he hid out away from the king's presence. And finally, King David allowed him to come back into Jerusalem and, and spend time with him. But this is what 2 Samuel 14, 24 says, And the king said, Let him return to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. He allowed him to come back, but he wasn't really ready to truly forgive Absalom for all that he'd done. Let me just encourage you, I believe that this caused him a lot of problems in his life. If you look at King David the next, in the next uh, portions of the Scripture, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see where Absalom uh, didn't see the king for a total of five years because of, because of unresolved anger and bitterness. And this stirred in Absalom's heart a great uh, bitterness as well. And Absalom, as a result, uh, rebelled against his own dad. And we see where he tried to kill and murder his own dad as a result. And truly we see that there was great problems as a result, all, all going back to this issue of unforgiveness. Mm. Forgiveness is not easy, is it? Matter of fact, many times we don't want to forgive. And that's why God warns us about uh, bitterness and about anger. And He says in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, He says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, and neither give place to the devil. You know, sometimes we, uh, we, we get angry, but we're not really, we don't want to let it go, do we? We don't, want to, we don't want to forgive. We don't want to bless them which persecute you. We don't want to bless and curse not. But instead, our desire and natural inclination is to curse. Amen? Well, you wouldn't believe what that and so-and-so did. But listen, the unforgiveness gives place for the devil to devour and to destroy He'll destroy your relationship with your spouse or destroy the relationship with your children. He'll destroy relationships in the church. And let me tell you that God or Satan can use that in powerfully destructive ways in your life. And I want to just encourage you today to be willing to forgive. Consider the Apostle Paul with me for a moment in, in, in contrast. 
So we had the the King David and his unforgiveness and really spurred some rebellion in the heart of his own son. But then we have the Apostle Paul as well. And and as he is on the road to Damascus, we see where the Apostle Paul was uh, truly had a desire to persecute uh, the church and to drag those in the church into into the governor's house where they could be be, be flogged or or be persecuted. And so this was his whole purpose. And and everything that we see in his life in Acts chapter number 9, he finally meets with Jesus. Jesus Christ on this road to Damascus and, and Christ says, why kick, why kick thou against the pricks? And, and Paul reminds us and says, Lord, whom art thou? But I love Philippians chapter 3 and I'll invite you to turn there with me in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 because we see later he wrote about this experience and what, what he was before and what he was afterwards because I, I see that the forgiveness of God in Paul's life turned things upside down for him where once he was a sinner, uh, and once, once he was someone who persecuted those around him, and those full of, uh, once full of bitterness and anger, he experienced the forgiveness of God. And the forgiveness of God brought him from that lifestyle and into a life uh, totally transformed by God's forgiveness. In Philippians chapter 3, and verse number 4 says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think he hath whereof uh, he might trust in the flesh, he says, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But listen what he said. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And all of the things that he had been before, he recognized that they were nothing. And all of the bitterness, and all of the hardship, and all of the unforgiveness that he had experienced toward those who were Christians before, he realized... It was all for naught. When we harbor unforgiveness and we harbor bitterness in our heart, it gives an opportunity for the devil to work. And what I've noticed too, and other preachers and people who've done some counseling, and you'll recognize that if I have bitterness in my heart toward one person, it doesn't stay there. It spills out all over the place. Matter of fact, you know, if, if I'm angry with one person, oftentimes it reveals itself in my relationship with my wife or my children. Only God can forgive like Paul experienced. Only God can forgive like what Paul uh, experienced here. Only God is the one that can allow us to bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Only God can stand uh, at at the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Before he ever went to the cross, this is what Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. He says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them which curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Before he ever went to the cross, he proclaimed from his platform, he says, listen, love your enemies. Is that easy, church? No. But I want to remind you that It's commanded today. It's commanded today that to love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them which curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. This is not a mere outward blessing, but even refraining from inward reservations. Refraining from those private expressions. You know, sometimes we can say something to their face, well, God bless you to their face, but behind their back, it's a whole totally different story. You know what I mean? And so God instructs us here, listen, it's not just about what happens in the front, in front of everyone, but instead, even in my own private life. R.A. Torrey said this, The trouble is, 
or that, excuse me, that, the, that is the trouble with you, some of you. Someone has done you an injury, or you think he has, and you will not come close to God because you want to cherish this bitter grudge in your heart. Or what C.S. Lewis pointed out, he says, forgiving does not mean excusing. If it were so, there would be nothing to forgive. In Paducah, Kentucky, uh, a few years ago, there was a 14-year-old named Michael uh, Carniel. He opened fire on a group of students and, uh, who had gathered for prayer in their, in their morning. And, and within seconds, 10 people were wounded and three were killed. The students and the people from the com- community, though, show, showed a remarkable willingness to forgive. Listen to some of the th- things that they did. They, they put placards in, uh, in the high school and around the community that says, We forgive you, Mike. His sister, Kelly, was greatly affected by all of this. Michael's sister was, uh, you know, obviously uh, the stigma would be stuck with her from all that she, that her brother had done. But instead of rejecting, we saw that the community in that time in Paducah, Kentucky, they rallied around her and was willing to show forgiveness. They invited her to sing at the funeral. They invited the, the family to be a part of all that was going on. Instead of saying, we hate you, Michael, instead, they loved you. They forgave. One young girl said it best. She said, and I quote, I can hate Michael and bear the scars of what he did for the rest of my life, but I choose to forgive him and get beyond it. You know, truly, when we talk about forgiveness today, that is the choice. We can choose to hate. We can choose to bear those scars. We can choose to, to reject what God has done, but I'm telling you what, you're going to be stuck there forever. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 31 I love what God reminds us here. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, listen church, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God calls us to put away our anger. He calls us to put away our wrath. He calls us to put away bitterness and clamor and evil speaking. But listen, He also says, forgiving one another, all in the same breath, in the same sentence, in the same area. He says, listen, not only we put away those things, but also we choose to be kind and forgive. What a great, incredible power that God has given us when we're willing to say, God, I forgive. Imagine the power that the wife holds when the husband has run out. Or maybe the husband holds when the wife has run out. Or, or maybe uh, the, the parent holds whenever the child has rebelled. When, and with just that one phrase, I forgive you, what change can happen in a relationship? There's great power in that. I want you to see today that God, uh, not only is there great blessing and forgiveness, but there's also there's a great burden of forgiveness. Consider with me, Will, uh, with you, uh, consider with me this morning God's burden for you. Look in verses number 15 and 16. He says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another, one toward another. Mind not things, but condescend to men of low estates. Be not wise in your own conceits. As we consider this, I want you to consider what God has done for us. He has truly became, uh, went, uh, went from the throne room of heaven to being uh, a man on earth. He went from the glories of heaven to st- sitting among us uh, when He was here on this earth. And let me just remind you, the cost of forgiveness today is not cheap. 
When Christ came to this earth, He laid it all on the line for you. Oftentimes, we don't want to forgive. I've often heard, well, you don't know what He has done, or you don't know what she's done, it can't be forgiven. Or you don't know what I've done, there's no way God could ever forgive me. But let me remind you that Hebrews 9.22 reminds us, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Christ had to come so that we could be forgiven. It was not cheap. It's available for free for you today, this incredible forgiveness. But listen, it was not a cheap forgiveness. It cost God His only Son, His only begotten Son. He came to the world so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have eternal life today. And let me just remind you and invite you this morning that if you don't know the forgiveness of God, it is available for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He died in your place. It was a once and for all sacrifice. He died once and it was for all sins. But listen, it's a gift and you must receive this forgiveness. Listen to some of these incredible scriptures that God's given us throughout the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, 1 Peter 3, 18, it says, For God also hath once suffered for sins, the just, that's Christ, for the unjust, that's me and you, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, by the Spirit. Or Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You recognize that this morning that your forgiveness that God offers for you today is not cheap. It's not a cheap sacrifice, but instead it cost Him so much. And so I want you to see that He paid for the price of forgiveness. God hates sin, doesn't He? He can't even dwell in the presence of sin. As a matter of fact, because I'm a sinner, I can't get to God on my own because of my own sin in my life. And so somebody had to pay the price for my sin. It says, for the wages of sin is death in in Romans 6, 23. And so because of all that I'd earned, all I'd earned was, was death. But because of what Christ has done, He offers forgiveness today for you and for me. By Christ's loving act of grace, believers are eternally freed from the penalty and guilt of sin. But preacher, you don't understand. Maybe you don't get it. He didn't put a limitation on your sin. He didn't put a limitation on, on what it was and the power of His forgiveness. We serve a mighty God, as, as our missionary quoted a while ago, Ephesians 3.20, our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Our God is able today. And I don't know what your past is, but it doesn't matter because God is able. Amen. He's able to forgive, He's able to overcome, and I just want to invite you today to experience that forgiveness because Psalms 32, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. God says we are blessed when we experience the forgiveness of God. And I want you to experience that personally because Isaiah 20, 43 and 25 says, As I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Amen. You know, sometimes we say, well, well Pastor, you don't understand I'm, I'm past, but let me ask you, has God forgiven? Well, yes, but, forget the but, because God doesn't remember it. Man, it's gone as far as the east is from the west. Psalms 103 and verse 20, uh, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us today. Man, we serve a great God today. And let me remind you that God offers forgiveness for you this morning. A believer receives God's forgiveness when he repents of sin. 
and places his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. What, what gets me is sometimes that people say, well, well I believe God. I believe in God. Well, listen, it's not just believing in God because even the devils believe in God. Listen, they believe that there is a God, and they even fear Him. But listen, if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, if you've never asked Him to, to come into your life and to be your Savior, then I'm telling you, then, then you're not saved today. It is not a process. It is an instantaneous decision. I have made a decision. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going I'm to ask Him to save me of my sins because I can't do it. It's all about Him. Colossians 1.14 reminds me of it in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without Christ, there is no way to heaven. And this morning, let me remind you, that without Christ, there is no forgiveness. Are you forgiven? Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 reminds us of this. To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, listen, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. Are you a whosoever this morning? Amen. Amen. I'm a whosoever and you're a whosoever. If you don't get that big King James word, let me just tell you what it is. That's all of us in here, amen? It's not complicated. That means anybody and everybody, whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ, can, be a whosoever, can, can receive that remission of sins. And God's forgiveness is for you today. You know what? Sometimes people tell me, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm really not that bad. I don't need that much help. Amen. Well, uh, yeah. Let me share some scripture with you. This is what the Bible says about you. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, guess what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, it says uh, that all, uh, there is none that, are, that is righteous. No, not one. And 3.23 reminds us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God you want to experience the unity with God, if you want to experience the, the freedom from sin today, you must come to God for forgiveness. It's not about working your way there. It's not about earning your way because there's nothing that I can do on this earth that can get my way, my way paved good enough to get to heaven. Would you please experience that today? But listen, God's burden was heavy, wasn't it? That burden on the cross that he bared as he bore out his arms and he cried, Lord, it is finished. What was finished? He says the act of salvation was completed when he laid himself down on that cross. There's nothing more I've got to do, but it was done. It was finished. And if you're a guest with us today, let me invite you. We've got an incredible book for you just entitled Done. It's a great read that, that teaches you about what God has done for you. Religion everywhere tells us what, it's about what you've got to do. You've got to do this and be baptized and, and, uh, and, and uh, follow these sets of rules in order to be saved. But God says, look, it is what, church? Finished. It's done. And we want you to have that book before you leave today. We want you to be able to read it and understand what God has done for you. And that is He has bore the burden of your sin on the cross for you today. But you must receive it for yourself. But listen, in Romans chapter 12, God reminds us that bless them which persecute you. It says, bless and curse not. And then he goes on in verse 15, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And he says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not, things of, uh, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so God reminds us this morning that we've got a burden as well. We've got a burden when we interact with one another, and that burden is the burden of forgiveness. 
Forgiveness for, for those who persecute. Forgiveness for those who, who trespass. Forgiveness for those who, who we feel like have, have uh, stepped on our toes. And let me remind you that, that, that today God is able, if He's able to, to forgive you, why can't we forgive others? Verse 15 literally means rejoice with the rejoicing ones. It means weep with the weeping ones. With those around us, man, when, when it comes to those who are uh, grieving, man, we want to we grieve with them. Think about Jesus Christ. Did He ever show compassion? Throughout His ministry, we see Christ was a man of compassion. He loves people. When He was here on this earth, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 that He looked out upon the multitude and He was moved with compassion because of what they were going through. And man, when we as a church, we look out and we see people hurting, God is calling us, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's our burden to carry. Rejoice with the rejoicing ones. Weep with the weeping ones. If Christ, who is God, can look at my Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and say, and, and the Bible tells us that he wept. If he was filled with compassion, let us also be filled with compassion. Let us also have that kind of compassion toward one another. Do you have compassion to allow forgiveness for others? One, one author said this, Forgiveness breaks the chain of casualty because he who forgives you out of love takes upon himself the consequences of what you have done. Forgiveness, therefore, always entails a sacrifice. Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to say, I forgive you when, though, when you've been hurt or harmed? Many people today are reluctant to show forgiveness and mercy because they don't understand the difference uh, between trust and forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is letting go of the past. Letting go of those past atrocities and saying, you know what, God, I can't change that. I often counsel with people and they'll tell me all these things that happened in the past and I just want to remind them, listen, you can't change those things in the past, but you can change what happens from here going forward. And when we trust God, we recognize that He's in control of all things. And trust has to do with future behavior. And so let's trust God through this. God is calling us to forgive. And though we don't always understand it, no, we can't always uh, understand how we can do it, we can, we can follow Him in obedience. Forget, forgiveness must be immediate, whether or not a person asks for it. Amen? Sometimes people don't, don't ask for your forgiveness, but instead give it liberally. Trust must be rebuilt over time. Trust re requires a track record. If someone hurts you repeatedly, you're commanded by God to forgive them, guess what, instantly. Well, that'll change your perspective in, in uh, traffic, amen? <laughs> Think about that tomorrow when you drive to work. Man, you get in your car on Monday morning and this bozo jumps out in traffic right in front of you and uh, you have to slam on your brakes to keep from rear-ending him. And of course, it would be your fault if you hit him and the Bible says, forgive them instantly. How do we do that? I believe God's calling us to humility. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one toward another. This reminds me greatly of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, because we're reminded that we're, we're, God has called us to, to really to live in harmony with one another and to really to have that same uh, focus and that same agenda with one another. And listen, as believers, that's easy to do because we serve one God. We have one purpose. We're saved and we're, we're uh, living for one uh, pur purpose and person today, and that's Jesus Christ. 
But listen, it's not about my agenda or your agenda. It's not about if I'm right or you're right. But instead, as a Christian, it must be that God is the center and God is right. And so what does God tell me? What's God's word teach me? And so Philippians chapter 2 is good evidence of that. It says, "If uh, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. What does that look like? Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or, or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He says, look not every man on his own things, but let every, every man also on the things of others. And then he puts it to the test. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we consider the ability to forgive those who've really hurt us and harmed us. I think that that is really the test right there. Are you walking like Jesus? Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say, God, you're the centerpiece of all that I do. God, you're the centerpiece of of my life. And when we're really willing to do that, what we find is that mind of humility. That willingness to put Christ first in everything. Corey Timboon wrote a piece called The Face of My Enemy. Many of us in this room are familiar with her, and probably you've read this, but I couldn't, I couldn't bypass just sharing this with someone who maybe has never heard of her. She was I captured during Germany, Germany's history during Nazism, and she was just in prison. She was in Ravensbrück, Ravensbrück, and she was just a, a, went through some horrific times here on earth. And she wrote this. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt, clat, uh, brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken and moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. The year, 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. This was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiveness, forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, he, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, No fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, collected their wraps in silence, and left the room in silence. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoats and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform, a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook. And a man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the cruelest guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that you, that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. 
How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Rayburn's book in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, whose sins had again and again needed to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. How could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there and hand held out, but to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever uh, had to do. For I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. And since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Listen, church, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that. You supply the feeling, so woodenly and mechanically. I thrust my hand into the one outstretched in front of me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into my joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bring tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, as we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, forgiveness is not always easy, but it is always commanded. And God says this, for whosoever shall confess his sins, He'll forgive. I don't know your background. I don't know where you're coming from. God knows hearts. And I love this quote. I want to leave it with you today. But I do know this. God offers forgiveness for you today. Forgiveness is God's grace lived out in a practical way. You will never resemble Christ more than when when you do what He did for you. Forgive.